Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, this is Jose Ignacio Alfaro. Adam, co-host of Are We Still Talking About This, sent me the following dispatch. A few Junes ago, a close friend visited unannounced and implored me to see an old lover. She was dying. I ignored emails and texts addressing her decline. I stopped answering my phone. Things ended poorly between us. She went from an observer of life's grotesqueries to its most active participant, from a patron of the freakish and destroyed to their bloodied mascot. She died a week later. I sequestered her to a part of my brain active only in night terrors allowed her memory to be psychically imprisoned until I listened to Koki the Clown. Koki the Clown is the vehicle Fat Mike uses to tour the worst moments of his life. The pain in Koki's songs is present, raw, and overpowering. There is no catharsis, only re-immersion. I started crying two songs into Koki's album, You're Welcome. This episode is emotionally difficult and sexually graphic. We recommend listening privately, preferably in a space that cannot move. Dennis Johnson died in February of 2017. He was speaking to Koki when he wrote the following. What about your past? What about it? When you look back, what do you see? Wrecked cars. Any people in them? Yes. Who? People who are just meat now. Hey, you're doing fine. Talking to here. Talking to your bullet hole? Talking to my bullet hole and tell me that I'm fine. Special thanks to Jim Spickler and Nicole Kidwell. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. So my first question is, um, who is Fat Mike and who is Koki the Clown? Uh, Fat Mike is a uh, half-century-old Jew. Been playing punk rock for most of my life. Started playing punk when I was 15. I'm 52. Koki the Clown is just a character I had on uh, Halloween once. I actually, you know, I, was, I had spoons and fake bags of Coke. And I was on the street outside of my van with 13 people in it. And I spilled actual real bags of Coke under the ground and there were cops 10 feet from me and I was like Woo! and I grabbed him <laughs> and got back in the van because if I would have been like oh no then I would have been arrested and we wouldn't be having this interview uh, Koki the Clown it's uh, I don't know it's a character where I feel comfortable telling the biggest tragedies of my life because I've had some weird ones and the thing is it really made me question who I am, who I am because in the song uh, Swing and a Miss, I realized that I don't care as much as everybody else when my roommate hung himself. And so there's, yeah, there's something wrong with me. There's a lot of reasons I like that song, but I think the principal one for me, because I have, I have a weird background, get hung up on weird things. I usually don't care about semantics at all. But uh, when people say committed suicide, it pisses me off because I think it should be completed suicide because I don't want to be associated with a, a sin, right? It's like an accomplishment. You completed. And you say in that song, successful suicide. Yeah. Which I, I love. Oh, you like that? Yeah. Well, because the first night, that was so weird. The details of the stories are what really touches people. Because I remember he came in, he was bloody, and I was cooking beans. And, I, and he said, I just tried to hang myself. And I said, don't do that. And I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't do anything but tell my girlfriend. And she's like, that's weird. And that's all we did. So the next night, when everyone is screaming, I'm like, oh, you must have successfully done it tonight. Oh. I wasn't close with him. He had a trauma, traumatic brain injury. 
it was just such a weird night when everyone that night they went through his shit everyone tried to grab his shit it's just it's interesting how soon after did you start uh writing the music after that yeah well i mean i this Koki album i've been working on for about a year but the song about uh that time i killed my mom which is funny because i didn't know doug stanhope killed his mom we were just hanging out, talking. Oh, you killed your mom too? Oh, me too. Hey, you wrote a book about it. It's yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> wrote a song about it. But uh, I wrote that song a month after she died, wow. and I didn't play it for anyone. I just, I just wanted to record it. When I started writing songs for Koki, I said I have to put the song on. I should play the song that didn't make the record. Oh, that would be awesome. It was too dark. Wow. <laughs> so I just started listening to uh, Koki's album recently last day or two and the first track uh made me actually start to fucking cry in the car really because i also have a, a dead x so if you could walk us through that one uh, you know what that's hearing that is it's so uh, it, make, it means so much to me that i made a record that really touches people because i'm always putting my emotions out there but when you're playing punk rock people either don't believe it or they're having fun or you know, when I played the first Koki shows, people were like, fuck you, that's bullshit. Bullshit, that didn't happen. I'm like, don't say that. I'm I'm, op- I'm peeling off my skin here for you. And at least respect, I'm not lying to you. Why would I lie? You know, you can lie for a joke. You can't lie for a depressing story. Okay, the first song, it's called Bathtub. And it's about my ex-wife. And she tried to kill herself in a bathtub in Costa Rica. And I was on ecstasy for 48 hours. Whoa. I took too much. And I finally fell asleep. And I woke up three hours later, which is super weird. And if you notice, there's pauses in the song. Because that's how, when I woke up, I was like, oh, she's probably just outside. And I finally went to the bathroom and saw her floating and with water in her mouth. And she had taken a lot of pills and she was done. Wow. And she has a painting. If, I don't know if you saw the painting. It's called Bathtub, and it's from her perspective. So I didn't out her. She put this painting for sale. And it. And she says, I was so pissed off when he, he woke me up, and I was doing just fine. She was over it. And, and I mean, I, I was woken up from some, for a reason. And... Uh, yeah, that's the opening, an acapella number with yep. me singing that. <laughs> but doing it live, it's incredible because I tell the story of why this happened. And the second song, Fair Leather Friends, is about how all my good friends, even people in my band, especially their wives, treated her like a fucking whore. So it's the same woman I was going to ask yeah, you Yeah, Soma about Snake that. Oil. I moved her to San Francisco. And, you know, when you're your ex a couple of breaks up you give the new girlfriend a chance or boyfriend you know you don't have to like them but you have to deal with them and I stopped getting invited to anything you know Tony Sly who was a good friend of mine who died I got invited to his bonfire this year and I'm like oh he has a bonfire how how cool my daughter said yeah every year we go and I, I just started crying I'm like I haven't been invited to Tony's bonfire because of who I'm with, because they didn't want that porn whore. Oh, that's what, see, that's another similarity in our past. And I, I thought that when I was reading or listening to the song rather, because of, you know, you, you pretty much say explicitly that she does something and you equate it to the circus, right? That, that other people are not fully on board with. But yeah. Was well, she was, she was a dominatrix. And, you know, in seven years, we never had the same sex. It was always unbelievable, crazy. And people don't like that. They don't like other people to be happy because it makes them feel like, well, shit, we only have sex once every three weeks. We go through the motions. And these guys, you know, like when we're in Venice, we did bon- we did gondage or bondola. You know, she had me super tied up on a, on a gondola going through the river for two hours at 10 p.m. It's like, no, I think we're the only people that did that. We're making history here. Yeah. People hate that. People it makes, love to stop and stare and talk shit. But well, Yeah, because it makes them feel bad about their relationships. And one of the reasons we broke up is because she felt like 
a whore. My guitar player's wife, Eric, came over to my house. He lives four blocks from me, the guitar player no effects. Him and his dad. He was going to come over with the kids, his two, two, uh, two boys. Where are the kids? Oh, they weren't feeling good. And his dad said, Mike, come over here. I got to tell you something. Erica, his wife, told me, I don't want my kids over at that whore's house. Jesus. And I didn't tell you know, my wife that. But she had a 17-year-old daughter. I have a 13-year-old daughter. It's like, we're parents. You know, who, what does it matter, you know, if I get pegged with a strap on or... Especially in San Francisco. Yeah, that's what's weird. Yeah. But, you know, she would cry because... Why aren't we invited anywhere? And her suicide attempt had to do with that. So they go together well, and it's uh, we open with it, and I explain that. I tell that story, and when I do acapella, the crowd is fucking silent. I mean, no one's filming. No one is moving. And I have to stand there, and it's so hard. Where did you guys meet? Funny story. <laughs> I rented the dungeon and I had a party there with some 41 and the vandals and alkaline trio and no effects. In fact, the woman who called her a whore, Eric's wife got flogged by her that night. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah. yeah. So her slave girl boy said, God just wants to see you in her bedroom and no one gets to go in her bedroom. I'm like, Oh, well yeah, I'm there. <laughs> and she, she put on some David Bowie, and she goes, I hear you like getting ass fucked. I'm like, well, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> well, if it's, you know, it's a girl, I don't like the boycock. And uh, she turns around with the strap on and says, I'm going to tear you apart with this. And it was like, it's purple dildo. And it was like four inches long. I'm, I'm thinking, that's so small. Like, you're not going to tear anything apart. <laughs> is that what you said? <laughs> no, that's what I was thinking. What I said is, ooh, oh, goddess, oh. <laughs> and then she's fucking me with it. She had me keep my head in this other girl's pussy. And uh, when she had underwear on. This isn't important. The important part was, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. But I'm thinking, <laughs> always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I wanted to be good. I wanted her to have a good experience, so I pretended like I liked it. I did like it, but it wasn't painful or nothing. So then, a couple years later, I've told this story to some people. She hears that I tell the story. So we're in, Aust we're in Australia, and I'm tied to this spanking horse with this other dom, and she goes, I've heard the story you've been telling about how the purple cock was so small. Well, tonight you're taking this. And she comes around with this, this prison Suge Knight black cock. It's so big. She goes, first you're going to suck on it. And it, it was like, ah, 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 I couldn't get it in my mouth. <laughs> it's a huge, giant black cock. You're taking this tonight, bitch. So, and I'm, I'm fucked. I'm scared. I, I'm literally sweating. And then she gagged me and then she lubed it up and fucked me with this fucking cock. And it hurt. It, it was terrible. This is a not. This is not a pleasant pegging. After about ten minutes, I was, I was really freaking out. She finally took it out. And she goes, "You took it. You took it, bitch." And she came around, and it was the same purple cock. She oh. fucked me with the first night. She switched them. That's a really sweet story. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't fuck me with the big cock. But I thought. But I was. I thought it was, and I was screaming. Wow. She's that was. That's called mind fuck. So, are you guys still together, or what is... We're not. We just, we, we, there was too much shit that went on between us. And it was because we, we were historically in love, I think. And it just... It was too hard. Those are the worst kinds. When I was in San Francisco from, I want to say, 2005 to 2007, 2008-ish, and I also dated a lived with a woman who was in the sex industry, who was a dominatrix, who worked a lot for a kink that's now dead. Yeah, so it's I a problem with doms. There's a high, high suicide rate. They're like rock stars. They're treated, they're worshipped by people. And then it kind of ends, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. And, it's, and they don't make the money like the rock stars. It's really sad. Yeah. And she had the similar thing where it was... 
people who knew her or her family that would just say hateful shit that would blow my mind. You know, it's it's amazing how people in the sex industry all they do is please people. You know, like it's such an awesome job. They make people happy, like you know, people, musicians, any entertainers. And the shit they get is crazy. Because, yeah. I mean, they should be so well-respected, any sex worker. And I think it's weird how sex workers turn on each other, how people do porn. They go, I do movies. I'm not a, whole, I'm not a hooker. Oh, so it's being filmed, but you're doing the exact same thing. Yeah. It's funny. The old thing used to be, well, I've been on 10 covers, so therefore I'm, a, I'm like, really? You people are all insane. Huh? Yeah. You're having sex. Right. It's there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It, it it's, there's something right right with it. You should be proud. You bring happiness to lonely men, or or anybody. It, it's such a an, a noble profession. It really is. It always struck me too how it would connect with these deeply lonely people who would be acquainted with their public personas, and then a lot of times those same people would become furiously angry with them. Like, yeah, what's that about? That's some who knows. Yeah, it's 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 weird. So now you're living on a beautiful compound. <laughs> I wouldn't call it beautiful. It's Not yet. That that is. pool water is uh, kind of gross. That empty pool is one of the more impressive, like uh, P.T. Anderson post-apocalyptic things I've seen in a while. We are somewhere in the San Fernando Valley, and this place is expansive. It looks like if a Caddyshack went to seed. It's fucking great. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to describe this place, but I'm glad to be here. And I'm having roommates. I have five roommates moving in. A couple doms, a uh, couple of musicians, an actor. Do you vet them? Is there some sort of process? They're all good friends of mine. Oh, good. Okay. Not just Airbnb. No, no, no. I don't want, I don't want weird. I, well, I want, no, I want weirdos here. I just want to know them very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weirdos you can trust, I think, is the key to life. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how I can afford this place. Well, well, congratulations. I'm glad you have it. I'm glad there are some folks like you that still own property in this region of the world because it's getting bleak. Well, I, would, I wouldn't have bought property. I was, I was actually looking for an apartment building in the valley. And I was going to rent apartments to all my friends. And uh, I couldn't find a place with a pool. <laughs> so, a pool is important. Got to have a pool. Yeah. Pool uh, drowning, forced drowning is... is Really fun. It is. I would freak the fuck out. I don't want to die like that. No, I want no, no, not no. to die. You don't not die. I'm joking. I always just think I'm very dark. You have a gas mask on. You get tied up, hog tied, and then someone's standing on your chest. I test it first. Someone's standing on your chest, and you're at the bottom of the pool with a long tube. Oh my god. Do you have to edge up to that? Like, yeah. No, that's edge play. Start. Really? No, no. Uh, got uh, goddess. She used to do goddess samba. We had a, we had a place in Vegas that had a pool. And we had a, a rule, only heels allowed in the pool. And we had heels for everyone because you haven't lived until you, you know, swam in heels. It's, I never swam in heels. Yeah. Well, you haven't lived. But really? uh, it's fun. And uh, she would have goddess Soma swimming lessons. She'd tie your arms behind your back and tie your legs together and push you into the pool. <laughs> and you'd sink to the bottom and there'd be someone there to get you up. And she's like, you're not doing a very good job. Let's try that again. But it's... I couldn't do for it. For those 15 seconds... You're scared. Talk about a trust exercise. I, I just, I don't think I could get myself to a place where I could handle that. Well, that's what BDSM is. It's, it's true intimacy. It's more, it's so much more intimate than sex. Yeah. You know, I, people don't believe this is crazy, but it, I don't lie or embellish stories ever. I, I've slept with two women in 30 years. My first wife I was with 22 years and then someone I was with for eight years. I never fucked another woman. Because uh, I like honor, and uh, but I like intimacy. So I played with a lot of doms, but I'm not having sex with them, and I'm not getting, I'm not getting you know blowjobs or anything like that. Is there any? So there's no ejaculation in that process, or or there is. Some women do that. Some women don't. I, that wasn't my thing. I like to uh, you know go through. I like to get beat or have my breath held or be in bondage. It's super scary. Yeah, mind fuck, but just something from when I was a kid. I like I'm I'm terribly claustrophobic, but why do I like being wrapped up in strand wrap and tape and you know something over my head and put in a closet? Because I'm trusting someone that they'll let me out. Yeah. 
and it gives me a boner. If trust can turn you on, I think you're in a pretty good place in the world, right? No, it's not the trust. Oh, <laughs> well, no, it is because kissing also gives me a huge boner too. But you know, when you have sex in rubber enough, every time you smell rubber, you're turned on or leather. It's it's really Pavlovian, and I love that. There's so many things that I get to do that turn me on. Most you know, most people are like, "Oh yeah, her tits are hot, ass." Like what? A naked body? It's like National Geographic. Who cares? I want I want a package. I want a shiny, shiny woman with a that looks like an alien. I don't know. I think what, the disconnect for most people will be the not ejaculating. I think the oh, I ejaculate ah. at my hotel later by myself. You're like storing it all up in your mind, and then yeah, I got, giant I got, yeah, I got, I got the best spank bank in town. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you get all that excitement, and teasing denial is the best part of it. Is they bring you to the edge, you know? Maybe they, they use a vibrator sometimes, or people like sounding. You know what sounding is? No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like uh, getting a steel rod that's you know, smooth and lubed and they stick it down your cock. Oh my God. Right down the urethra. Yes. The urethra. Uh, see, and, heard uh, about that, and it's always been like, Oof. and a lot of people like that. I don't, <laughs> I had an operation when I was a kid cause my pee hole is too small. So they stretched it. So now when someone does that to me, it's like a rusty nail being put. Oh so my God. I'm not into it. But I'm like, why do people like this? Once I went, I did something called, it was called ruined orgasm. They go, oh, I've never done that. What's that? Oh, you're gonna see. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm t I'm taped up. I can't see anything. And my wife, someone's giving me a hand job, and she's like, "Tell me when you're gonna come. Tell me when you're gonna come." I'm under orgasm control, so I'm not allowed to come unless yes permission. And so, wow. Oh yeah, it so, works. Well, yeah, I've been trained. Jesus, like we be for you. What are you like a be, Jedi? How be, the fuck do you do that? You're trained. Uh -huh. You don't want to come too fast because then then you're fucked this girl who trans transitioned into a boy her name was maddie boy she was some was 24 hour slave like 247 she lived with us and when i did whenever it did come before someone would come she'd go all right get out boy and boy would come over and look at me like thanks a lot because she was the closer she'd have to go down on someone <laughs> and look up my cum and lecture till she came that's that's a shitty job. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, though. You know? That should have been on that show, Dirty Jobs. <laughs> so, ruined orgasm. I was just about to come. You ready to come? Are you ready to come? And the other girl took her pinky and shoved it down my cock. Oh. Ruined indeed. Ooh. And it, you know what? It worked. I thought it was maybe just saying yeah. something like, no, you know, <laughs> Lakers or no, it was. The thing that sucked is, you know, we were all kind of drunk. She didn't put on a glove. And so I was like, ow. Oh! And they both went, they both went, ooh, ah, uh, yeah, get something. That's not what you want to hear. You don't want to hear two doms go, that's ooh, a, ooh. That's a destroyed orgasm. Yeah. It was like uh, when Harry, when uh, something about Mary, it was like, uh, we got a bleeder. Because, yeah, she didn't wear a glove and there was blood coming out. Oh, that is not fun, intimate BDSM. No. It just sounds like something you'd use to interrogate a terrorist. No, no, because, oh, maybe. Anyway, it was, you, you can't win them all. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> that was not a good experience. BDSM <laughs> is a big part of your life, and we already knew that, but, um, and possibly your creative process, right? Would you say so? Yeah. I'm a missionary. But but last night I practiced. I have to go on a NoFX tour tomorrow. And I have this gas mask that zips up so you can't see. It's hard to breathe. You can't see. And I got tied up and I have to play the song right. I have to play every song right without looking. Because that's how I do it. That's how I can play live and not worry about the bass playing. You know, if I, if I don't play it right, then you get, you know. <laughs> you get caned. And so would you say that BDSM um, is part of your self-care process? It is. It's uh, when I'm having a really hard time with something, I either do drugs, nor, but what I do most is I like to get tied up and, and hit. 
and uh, caned because it takes everything away. It takes all your problems away. All you can think about is out, stop it, out, stop it, out. out. And really, uh, when you're done, you're clear, you're free, and you just have all the endorphins. And I like seeing movies too. <laughs> seeing a good movie, seeing a good movie, La La Land. Yeah, La La Land or getting. But you have to go to the like theaters. The kid that left. Yeah, I have to go Singapore. to movies. I have to go to the theater. But BDSM is it's it's my it's my passion. I know some. I would give up music. Really? If I had to choose. I think that would be interesting to most folks. To but don't, that. please don't make me choose that. <laughs> I know a dominatrix in New York and she was quite successful, whatever that means. And now she's um, giving lectures like TED Talk styles about power and domination. And she's quit the sex stuff and now is just teaching the mental stuff, um, mainly to women um, as an empowerment. Well, women have all the power. They just don't know it. Because men will do anything for a woman. Like use women have to use sex as a, a weapon, a tool, because really we'll do anything. That's why when when Soma would say, Okay, I'm gonna let you come tonight and I'm fucking her and then I okay, you got ten seconds and she, and then she'd say, No, not tonight. I'm like, oh. oh <laughs> But then you know what? I'm horny the whole night, the whole next day, I'm like what do you need? <laughs> you want to go shopping? Whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm, ha I'm in, I'm in bliss because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in denial phase. I'm, I'm horny, and I'm just like worshiping this woman. That's a, such a good place to be. It, it really is. Because when you know, what happens when you come? You're like, all right, see ya. <laughs> good night. Yeah. It's no good. Women, you guys can come a couple times or. Sure. But when we're done, we're done, right? Yeah, a little death. Right? It's just the, mm -hmm. it, it seems, feels like you're being slammed back into reality in the worst yeah. possible way. Yeah, especially when, when you're in a lot of pain. You mean nuts are tied behind your back and you have things on your nipples. When you come, everything hurts so bad. You know, because you're, you're submissive. Eh, we, we did things once upon a time. Well. But. Uh, I switched. Yeah. I was, was always, I was a good I was a good top. I was never really fully in the. I was called she. They would call me like a civilian because I was totally out of their mm. world. But I was like coveted for that weird reason in that shit. So I'd like go and I'd dabble in it and I'd be like, I can't tie this knot. I don't care how to tie this knot. I don't care if this is some twelve step fancy ass thing, you know. So I was all in. No. but I would I'll, fuck with it. If people wanted story. me to. You might cut it out. So that one time I was sleeping with someone and um, he was a marine and it was just and I said like choke me like one of your prisoners. And he did. And then I almost thought I was going to die. Yeah, and it so was like one of those moments. Not a good experience. And I was like, not that kind of choking. Yeah, don't not choke me out. I'm running out at 5 a.m. for my goddamn life. So there's a line. You know, there's what the safe, safe safe word, all of that. I should have yeah. learned. I don't play with safe words. words. Uh, are, like, I have a song called Safe Words. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. That's a good safe word. <laughs> <laughs> if you're with, If you're playing with good people... They know what they're doing. They'll take you past your limits, but you trust them enough to they know when you've had it. It almost seems like psychedelics where you need like an expert guide to take you down those roads until you're really used to them. Well, you do. I mean, you need to be with someone who knows what they're doing. And it's my sexuality. It's the first time I ever, when I, first time I jerked off, first time I got a boner was reading a story like that. I didn't understand just naked women. I mean, everybody, not everybody, I would say about 75, 80% of people want to be taken by their lover. They want to be wanted. They want to be tied up and just fuck the shit out of. I just want to be emotionally tied up, but yeah, I get it. You don't want to be tied up for real? No. I mean, why? Why in the world would you Control not want to be tied? Issues. Control issues. Yeah. But what if your partner said, I would really love you to tie me up? Would you do that for him? Sure. Because you want to make your partner happy. Of course. But people don't ask because they're embarrassed of rejection. Yeah, one time I had zip ties on my wrist and then my wrists were bleeding. So Well, what the know. fuck did you do that yeah, for? Exactly. They make they make real comfy leather restraints. And, exactly what I said. Yeah, zip tie. Why don't you try using fishing line? <laughs> <laughs> just go full murder kit. Yeah, just mm -hmm. razors. But people want to be wanted and you want to look sexy. That's why I have my you know, my 
my line of panties for men. You heard of that? No. Uh, plug them so people know where they can. Fatal. It's called, well, like Fat Mike, Fatal, but it's Fatal. And it's panties and dresses for men that are sexy to women. They don't, they're, not, they're not sissy. They're like burgundy velvet with little bows and they fit your junk. And well, I, have, I have some on right now, but this is a podcast. But women find them attractive and that's the key. Well, you look sexy. And then the guy's like, really? I can wear panties? Yeah, I'd love you too, babe. I mean, but I, I couldn't publicly cross-dress till I was 47. 47. And I was so sad. Rocky Horror Picture Show was the first record I ever had and that don't dream it be it when I was 45 I'm like I'm such a coward I would really love to do this and I'm too scared I do everything I want but I can't do it publicly and that was the last my last hurdle wow. to becoming free from shame and pride I have no shame I have no pride and that's where you want to be in life where did you go the first time you were out publicly it was in Luxembourg and I had a show and I was wearing a pink nighty, and we were going to a nice, fancy restaurant. And I said, I'm just going to wear this to dinner. And someone's like, really? You're going to just wear it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I wore it to dinner, and I felt like a punk rocker again because people were staring at me. I loved it. And then I went to the show and just played the show like that. And it was so freeing for me. And you know, after you're talking to me, you're like, oh, he's he does anything he wants. But I couldn't. I was, I was terrified because... Uh, well, actually, it's because my first wife once told me I look stupid in girls' clothes. It's not very nice. No, it's not only not nice. It it broke my heart. I'm like, do you know what you just said? You'll never see me in girls' clothes again because you just broke my heart. And I was humiliated. You don't say that. It's like telling a woman, uh, your pussy is blobby, and I can barely feel it. <laughs> blobby. Well, no, but... You, you don't say certain things to people because you can't take it back. Yeah. Do you think she knew the gravity of what she was saying at the time and was trying to be hurtful or was it just an offhanded thing and she didn't know what it was? We were fighting. She was trying to hurt me. She didn't know how deeply it would hurt me. And it took Soma years before uh, she made me feel pretty. Why do you think it hurt you so much, though? Because I liked wearing girls' clothes. It's not my big thing. But, you know, we're put on a maid's outfit and we're men. You know, we don't look great. We don't look hot. But you like to think that you're kind of sexy. And now I knew I couldn't wear anything around her anymore because it was the truth. She didn't say that to, just to hurt me. It was the truth. And it took me years to get over that. And now I have a fatal line of panties for men that you know i i'm one of the models and i'm like you know i'm a schlub <laughs> and people who see the panties go oh you know what those look really cool so if people go to the website they can see you wearing the panties and products yeah that'll draw people and back. you can see mexicans on there wearing that and punk rockers <laughs> uh mexican and, punk oh rockers my God. or just mex <laughs> no they're mexican punk rockers and and girls like this is one picture of this guy him and his girlfriend went there and she was a model and he put on a pair of panties and he got a huge boner and they ended up fucking in the back room because he was so turned on because guys are just scared we don't want to look stupid in front of women and i'm really hoping this will have a little culture change so i remember if we can jump back to your songs for a moment when i was listening to I believe the third track, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm very new to the material when you're speaking about your roommate that hung himself. Yeah. And the That's a fourth song, dummy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Plus or minus one. I didn't read anything about this before, so I didn't know there were true stories, but the detail that made me think this is 100% true is when his parents come to visit, yeah. and you look down and you realize that you inadvertently made his parents uh, stand in his dried blood. Yeah. You don't forget things like that, and you remember the details. And I felt that's what I felt really bad about because they looked down and they started crying. And it's like, oh my God, we're such dicks. We didn't clean up the blood. And and you think, why, why was there blood anyway? It's because he hit his face the night before when he, on the sink when he tried to hang himself. So he's bleeding. And uh, 
And the weird part was when we got the, the thing around his off his neck, and got him down, he went, Ugh, and we thought he was okay. But it was just Eric oh. coming out. <sighs> Is there a song that's the most difficult for you? Well, I've never, I've only played five Koki shows. That's crazy. And we just did three this week. It was all, it's not cathartic. It's fucking really hard. The worst is that song, My, my Orphan Year, because I lost both of my parents in 2006. And when I have a half-sister and she was at the show in Atlanta and I fell apart. I was talking about Tony Sly and I sang that when his kids were there and I couldn't finish the song. I just started crying. I can't imagine going through that on stage in front of an audience. <sighs> well, if you're going to sing songs that mean something, that touch people, you have to, I mean, you have to dig deep. You have to, that's, I'm really proud of this record because, and the no effects book, the hepatitis bathtub. I told everyone, if we're going to do this book, you have to give it all. We're not telling about <laughs> the good stuff and all the great times. And, you know, our drummer, what he gave up and our, it's his book. It's our drummer's book, but, it's so hard to, to tell those stories when you have kids. And, you know, Eric, our guitar player, talks about being molested when he was 12. And that takes so much courage. Because you know what? Everybody looks at him different now. And and me too. Everyone looks at me different after they know all this stuff. And I don't even know why. Why do I do it? Uh, I think you both help a lot of people when you tell those stories because people who have been through similar things, especially something like molestation or acute loss, to hear somebody else speak about it, it destigmatizes it and then they feel better. So that's a real thing. Well, my musical Home Street Home, I don't know if you've heard that at all, that should be on Broadway pretty soon, but it's been such a long journey. It's about street kids. And, and even though you were dealt a bad hand and your childhood sucked and you were molested or whatever, it doesn't define you. It's just, oh, that happened to me. And now I'm moving on because you didn't do anything wrong. And that's what the society has to start. De people have to start dealing with is you don't feel guilty for what happened to you. You feel guilty for doing something bad to someone. That's what most of no effects lyrics are about is this is just, this happens. This is a story. And and yeah, that's what the book does. And, and Koki is, well, I, I don't think Koki, Koki helps people. I just think it bumps people out. I mean, I know with me, it made me uh, deal with stuff that I, haven't, I didn't deal with in a decade. Really? So, yeah, absolutely. What? what? Um, uh, the stuff around the um, dead ex I had was a sex worker, which I know is probably on the nose. And maybe most people aren't going to have that specific connection, but it definitely forced me to the process and think about things that I hadn't in a long time. And it was well, uncomfortable, but I was glad that I, I did it or at least started to do it. Well, I just, I think it's such a noble profession. It, you know, it should be not tolerated. It should be encouraged because it's a, it's a noble profession. Well, as far as uh, the Koki album goes, I don't know if the songs help anybody, but well, the killing, that song, That Time I Killed My Mom, that I feel really good about that. I mean, she asked me to, and if you don't, and you let your, your, yeah. someone you love suffer for weeks because the doctors say it's the way to go, that, that's, you're a coward. Can you speak a little bit about what her life was like before she asked you to do that? Well, she was, a, I don't know, a bipolar Jewish cunt. <laughs> I mean, she made my life miserable. I told her about my first condo. She goes, what? You didn't let me be your agent? <laughs> Mom, I bought my first place. Son, you had before me? Well, you could have given me some of the money. You know, <laughs> not a woman that made my life happy and yelled at me my whole childhood. But I felt it, you know, it's my duty. She needed, she asked me to, to end her life. Was she physically sick, or what, did she just decide? No, no, was she was. To... She was. She was tired. She played tennis, and she was exhausted. <laughs> no, she had, she had ovarian cancer, and she, it was seven years of fighting. Wow! And she asked me in front of her friends, and of course you do that, you know. And the only thing I felt guilty about is that it took thirty hours, and that's what the song's about. Is I listened to the doctors how to do it. 
and I, if I had guts, I just would have put a pillow on her face and Tony Soprano her. But that's, but that's, I mean, that's hard. Yeah. There's some legal ramifications to that one as well. Yeah. But, um, so you, you gave her pills, medication, what? Yeah. Well, uh, according to the book, which I can't say is true or not, you know, on the OJ Simpson tip, uh, yeah, I did what my friends, my doctor friends told me to do and the nurse helped me out and it was 30 hours of fucking hell. It shouldn't be 30 hours. And I know she was suffering the whole time. Were you there with her for those 30 hours? Well, yeah, I was, I was alone with her the whole time, lay next to her waiting. Gosh. And that's why I felt guilty is that I didn't do it faster. But you know, that's, it's, it's I'm I'm proud of what I did and it's it's I'm not a coward and she brought me into the world I, t I helped take her out of this world and both of my parents were shitheads but I owed them that do you have siblings? I have a half sister we were both crying at my dad's funeral people oh they're so sad no we're not sad we're sad because we didn't have a father and that's what I hope people take from this record is that because you have a relative or you have parents, you don't owe them fucking shit. You have to, you have to earn love. You do things, you spend time with your kids and, and help them and tell and be a good parent. You don't, you know, my dad's like, I know I was a terrible father. You know, I hope you can free. No, no, you don't get that from me. In fact, I was, he died. I didn't come down for when he was dying because he had dementia and he always kept saying, I know it was a bad father. I know it was a bad father. Yeah, I, knew, I do too. I don't want to hear it anymore. So his wife said, well, we're going to have the funeral next week. I go, I'm on the warp tour. Uh, how about we do it in six weeks? Because we're playing Bakersfield and I don't like Bakersfield. <laughs> so I'll drive down to Palm Springs. <laughs> and, and she did. <laughs> she held the funeral for six weeks. I'm glad Bakersfield is good for something. Uh, no. <laughs> and I went down on my bus with my wife and we were partying and uh, I showed up wasted in a really torn up suit. And yeah, me and my sister cried because everyone, all these people were saying nice things about him. We're like, we don't have any nice things to say. We wish we had a father. And they made me say something. I'm like, I don't want to say anything. Come on, Michael, say something. So I went up there and said, uh, I love my dad. I wish I knew him. I felt pretty good about that. He doesn't, I'm not going to say something nice. When I was 35, you know what he told me? He said, your mom made me take you two times a month. Uh, what? Yeah, I was, you know, I was single. I was partying. And yeah, he pretty much ruined two weekends of my month trying to be funny. And I'm like, why did you say that to me? Are there going to be more Koki performances? I guess. I'm not looking forward to them. It was super hard. But there's also juggling. And... <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> How can we make this funny? <laughs> well, I just... I love that juxtaposition. It's pretty great. After... Yeah, I, I, I just killed my mom. Oh, watch this. I can juggle while eating an apple. It's very hard. I mean, just regular juggling takes a dexterity that is completely foreign to people do that. Did you like clowns when you were a kid? Who I likes clowns it. when they're kids? Who even no one? How? But how do you even know about clowns? I don't know. You'd I didn't have know to, clowns. You, your parents would have to take My you somewhere. My parents would take me to um, Coney Island. I went to the freak show when I was a kid. I would go to the Coney Island freak show. That was my kind of clownish. Like you know, I went to the circus once, and then when I was a teen, you know, I would just hang out with a bunch of freaks, and those were the clowns. Of my life. And oh. now I work in comedy with comedians. Well, you know, that's funny because comedians, not funny, it's peculiar. Comedians, uh, they've kind of lived tragic lives. And we find the, the comedy in tragedy. Because, you know, comedy plus a couple of minutes is funny. <laughs> it used to, you know, it's plus time. But I'm finding that the sooner you say something, the funnier it is. Yeah, I'm in the same uh, but. Yeah, I believe the same thing. I don't say it publicly because I need to stay employed. But yeah, absolutely. I want it. Oh, yeah, I, I get in yeah. big trouble. <laughs> yeah. I read the song about Stephen Hawking. 
And I wrote it a month before he died. And there were some super funny lines. Like, he's so lazy. He only wrote a brief history of time. And and then I'm like, shit, he died. Now it's not funny. Now it's mean. I still released it. And it's called, uh, is it too soon if time is relative? Because <laughs> he was, I mean, the guy was so droopy. I think his teeth even sagged. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but... It, that's what we do. See, I don't get to do comedy on stage like comedians. I get in trouble because they get in trouble too now, though. Yeah, well, I'm still going for it. I'm putting out a record of our banter over the years. Things I said way worse than in Vegas. It's called. <laughs> it's called. Do you think Vegas is bad? <laughs> but I said worse things on stage that night. But that, that used to be what people would look for. Like they would go out and see folks, hoping that people would say something that would destabilize the way they thought about the world. Now it seems to be the opposite. I will win. Cause, uh, you know, comedians are smart, caring, funny people. And, uh, it's such a necessary part of society. I think there are definitely really, really darkly funny moments in the cokey lyrics that people probably gloss over because of the overall content. Yeah. There, there definitely are moments of reprieve that I feel like you sow into those songs. Yeah, I wish we could read some of the lyrics now. We'll probably read it when it's, we It's it dark. No, I throw in some stuff that's weirdly inappropriate that I think is, you have to. You have to throw in a weird a wrench in the works. Can you tell us about the song that didn't make the record? The song that didn't make the record, my publicist Vanessa said, uh, you can't put this on the record because everyone's going to talk about this song and it's going to ruin the record. And she's right. And I've played it live a couple live a couple times. It's called And We Did Nothing. And oh, I'll tell you about it because people get mad at me about it. But <sighs> when me and our guitar player were 16, we were at a, sh a punk show in Compton. And we were asked by this, a gangster, hey, you guys watch people's cars for 20 minutes and we'll let you in the show. So hanging outside and these two gangsters had a woman over the shoulders and uh, the woman grabbed Eric and said, help me. And they looked at us and said, you saw nothing. We know who you are. You saw nothing. And they took her downstairs. We don't know what happened. They probably raped her. And we went into the show and just stood there like, what do we do? We're 16 years old. There's no cell phones. It's 1984. And the song's about that guilt. And I played it live and people are like, you fucking coward. You fucking dick. And it's... And I wrote it because it's, yeah, it's something I feel terrible about. But I don't know. It's like, no way we could do anything else. This was a gang. And we were 16 in Compton. What are we supposed to do? Go to our payphone and call cops that'll come an hour later or fight them and get killed? And it's something me and Erica always feel terrible about. And the irony of that coward statement is that you're now talking about it on stage all these years later when I think the majority of people have something like that in their past that they just completely bury and never address at all, let alone in a public Absolutely. way. Yeah. What's well, I gain nothing by telling that story. Either people think, uh, oh, he had no choice or people think what a fucking dick. I don't, I don't win anything. And I, I didn't want people to concentrate on that song because it makes, it makes people angry. I mean, it makes me angry, but 16 years old is uh, 16. My, my daughter's 14. What, what are you supposed to do? You just witnessed something terrible. And what are you going to do about it? Stop it? No. It'd be nice if you could. It'd be nice if people didn't do that. But the worst part is she grabbed his shoulder and said, help me. And it's haunting. It's haunting. Well, I, I wish that more people across the disciplines art-wise would do what you're doing and release things that were really 
personal and difficult without processing or judging them so much. Yeah, you can't judge people. Yeah, you, you it's all down to judgment, right? That's what it all comes down to. And how many bands are scared to say anything that's important or that might hurt their career? And now everyone's scared. And I'm not. I'm, I'm suffering the consequences. And the, the amount of hate I get from people, it's okay. It's okay. Because if you're not getting hated, you're doing something wrong in today's, in, in, in America today. But you know what? The love I get, it makes it all worthwhile. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for, for speaking with us. Is there anything else you'd like to throw out there for folks? No, I'm I'm touched by this interview. This is my first real interview after the Koki album. Wow, oh, thank you, man. Appreciate and uh, yeah, um, it's it's difficult because I haven't planned what I'm going to supposed to say to people. I didn't know what people were going to think of this album. Fuck, am I getting a lot of mosquito bites? This sucks. Are you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm wearing I'm wearing lingerie. And it doesn't. But uh, I appreciate the interview very much. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, I'll yeah. be funnier next time. Yeah, stay in touch. Let yeah. us know when the pool's open. I think yeah, yeah. Adam wants to swim in heels. Definitely, so I'll try. And people should really listen to the Koki album because it's very, very rare that something like that uh, comes along. Thank you so much. And buy the lingerie. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Oh, uh-huh.